Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to have a really dope conversation with Gerald Grant III. He is co-author of the book, uh, The Power of Generational Wealth. And we were able to really dive into a conversation about wealth in general, uh, how wealth is being perceived in our community, and what are the different levels of wealth? What do we need to be considering uh, as first-time people that are getting into wealth, or maybe the generation before us has received wealth? How will they properly pass that down? So this conversation to me is next level. And so we have to look at all the different levels uh, associated with wealth. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation and let's dive into the levels of wealth with Gerald Grant III. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Another great episode of Black Equity, and I am excited about this conversation. I saw this book, this book circulating uh, amongst our community, and I had to speak with uh, one of the authors, uh, The Power of Generational Wealth. Uh, I want to uh, have a conversation about generational wealth, but before we do that, let's go ahead and welcome our guest, uh, Gerald Grant III. Gerald, welcome to Black Equity. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, DJ. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. Definitely. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your, your organization and your sector. Yeah, so a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a vice president of the G Financial Group down here in alliance with Equitable Advisors. It's a multi-generational financial planning services firm. Uh, me and my father recently Um, launched a brand within Equitable Advisors. My father has been uh, with the company now for 26 years, been in the industry for 35 years. So I pretty much grew up around the business, born and raised in Miami, Um, went on appointments when I was really little, interned in high school, interned at college. Uh, But like many, I was a rebellious child. So I moved away as far as I thought I could from my father's shadow. I ended up moving to Virginia to go to school, went to Hampton University, uh, where I did my, where I obtained my five-year MBA. Um, after that, transitioned to D.C., worked in the tech field at Deloitte for about three years and just got to a point where my, uh, where I saw myself going and what I ultimately wanted to do didn't really align. So I did some soul searching and did some praying, and that's when God eventually brought me back home to join my dad's practice. So been now with the firm for about four years, helping build, helping build and grow. Um, back in 2012, he wrote a book called Old Moves to Create Financial Wealth, which is the 
basics if you if you're trying to get there if you're trying to figure out where to start how do you do it um so that talks about the basics and over the years we've been helping clients um, go from trying to figure it out to now they have wealth and and then the next evolution of that was all right uh, now that we have the wealth what do we do with it especially in our communities many of us are first generation wealthy right so they didn't have anything passed to them. So now that it's time to pass things on, they're known exactly what to do with it. Um, so that's where the premise of this book came because we've seen cases where clients, kids get the money and they blow through it. In mm-hmm. fact, is where kids blew through millions of dollars in less than eight months. Um, so it's just educating that next generation and educating the, the parents on what to do to, to protect um, their hard-earned, work and, and uh, wealth that they've created over time. And that's kind of how the, the book came about. And we, me and my father sat down and collaborated and, and put it together. I love that. Um, so before we get into uh, the book and what's going to be inside of this book and the, uh, the reception, you mentioned something that I think is going to be important for our audience. You mentioned you're going down a path that you found out, well, maybe it's not the right path for me. Do you care to share, uh, you know, what did you think you were going to be? Was it a, a doctor, a lawyer? Where did you think you were going to head, uh, head to before you made uh, this uh, steer towards uh, finance and financial planning? Yeah, so growing up around the business, um, my dad always pushed it on me. He always wanted me to be a, be in the firm, right? And on the outside looking in, you never really realize the importance and the impact that we have on clients until you're actually in the business, right? So for me, I was always like, man, I just, I want to, we have the same name. So he's, he has a pretty big name in Miami. So I always wanted to do my own thing. Wanted to do sports for a while. You know, everyone grows up playing sports. You don't make it to the league. So the next thing you want to do is work in sports. Um, then realize that sports, if you weren't an athlete, sometimes it doesn't necessarily, uh, um, it's not as lucrative. Um, so that's when I started working at Deloitte. But then when I worked at Deloitte, from a long-term aspect, when I looked at family-wise and the, the sacrifices that you may have to make as far as controlling your time and whatnot, um, it didn't really align with where I saw myself. When I was there, my partner, he lived in Chicago, but he was in D.C. four days out the week. His kids mm. school. So those types of things as I started to evaluate what I want my life to look like in later years, um, that's when I was like, eh, maybe I want to do it. Maybe I want to pivot and, and go back to something that can give me a little bit more flexibility. And that's when I, I made that transition. But I think one of the biggest things, especially with, when you talk about defining wealth, because I think a lot of times we don't really do this, is what do you want that to look like, right? What do you want to take trips? Do you want the nice house? Do you want to be able to, go to all your kids' basketball games or ballet or whatever the case may be. Those things are important when defining what wealth looks like to you, what your career looks like. And I think that's very important, especially when we talk about generational wealth and just wealth, period, understanding those things and making the pivots and transitions when you can so that way you can enjoy the lifestyle that you want. That's that's very interesting. So one of the elements of wealth uh, before the money talk and everything else is deciding what your lifestyle 
that you want, deciding the life that you want to live, and then making the decisions around the life that you've envisioned for yourself. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I think, especially in American culture, it teaches us that we always got to make a lot of money and work long hours. And the definition of being successful is a person who shows up early and, and leaves late. But that's not always the case, right? It's a, it's about the person is important, too. So what good is it to – there's a quote in the book. It actually is from, the, from Dalai Lama. It says, what's the most – um, interesting thing to you, or don't quote me if I'm not if I'm not quoting it correctly. But essentially, what he says is that we spend so much time trying to make more money that we never truly enjoy life. And then at the end of our lives, we spend money trying to recuperate our health because we wasted it all trying to make a lot of money. So it's like as if we lived as if we were never going to die, and we die if we never lived. And that quote kind of hit me and changed my life because it's like, think about what we're here for, right? We, we spend our lives searching for money, but it's not money that we want. We want money so we can have experiences and make influence and do all of those things. But society teaches us opposite. Society teaches us we just need more and more and more money, but for what? What is the money going to do? It's not right. the money that we want. It's the things that money allows us to do. But if we get too caught up in the money, the resource, will never really realize the joys that it'll give us and the fruits of the labor. So I definitely think that's super important. You know, that's, that's real. It, it's this idea of either you're going to be a slave to the cash or the cash is going to be a slave to you and you get to put that money to work uh, to create the lifestyle that you want. But I think a lot of people are so busy, exactly what you're saying. They're so busy chasing after this thing instead of attracting it and allowing it to come to them so they can make those power moves uh, for their lives. Exactly. exactly. You, you mentioned that quote being inside of your book. And so just one more time, just in case I didn't say it correctly, what is the name of the book uh, that you've just published and how does it feel to be an author? Is this your first time as an author? Yeah, yeah. So this is my first time being an author. Um, the book is called The Power of Generational Wealth. Okay. Um, and it's definitely awesome, man. It's uh, It was a long time in the making, so it was good to finally see it come out and see people um, actually reading and gaining knowledge. It's been such an interesting journey. Um, now I'm getting texts from friends like, hey, man, like, in fact, a friend just texted me the other day that, that picture of that quote that, I, that we just talked about. And he was like, yeah. man, home's so hard. So it's cool to actually see um, the information being put out there and people are really taking it in and, and absorbing the knowledge. So. Dope, dope. So when somebody goes to sit down and, and take this information in, what should they be uh, looking to obtain? What, what, what are they going to walk away from with this book? So one of the first things that is going to do is going to change your perspective about what wealth means and what generational wealth means. Okay. At times we think that wealth is just making a lot of money um, and having nice things. And we think that essentially generational wealth is just um, transitioning the money to the next generation. Yeah. But it's a lot deeper than that. And like the, the um, subtitle says, it's more than dollars and cents. Because it's not about just transferring the assets. You have to transfer the things that put you in a position to create the wealth in the first place. So 
It's about, it'll teach you how to define what what means to you, how to educate the next generation, um, how to change your perspective. And then once you do all of that, how do you then sit down and put a plan in place to make sure that your wishes are executed when the time comes? So I'm hearing this idea of maybe a transfer of knowledge, uh, a transfer of skill set. Before you officially decide to be uh, in the financial sector or to be in the financial planning space. Uh, what what was your idea of wealth before knowing what you know now? And then how has that shifted and allowed you to then, you know, become an author and start talking about this? What did you think it was before? And what do you think it is now? Or did you always know what it was because of that background with your family? Yeah. So for me, it was a little different journey because I, around it right so my dad was always teaching me little things like pay yourself first it's funny because we had a story when we were when me and my sister were little he gave us the uh the challenge to read the richest man in babylon and he said i like, I like that book we wrote uh if we if we wrote an essay on how we would implement at least one or two things he would give us a hundred dollars and we wow. were 10 years old right so as kids, we like, we just want the money, but we didn't realize that the things that we were learning in those in the book are the things that we are continuing to use today. Yeah. Like learning how to live with means, learning to pay yourself first, learning to love what you do, right? Those are the things that we learned at a young age, which have positioned ourselves to to really build on wealth. And I mean, over time my perspective changed as far as like one of, I mean, everybody grows up, yeah, I want to be rich and be a millionaire, right? But we don't really know what that means, right? We don't really understand what being rich means. You got more money, more problems. So for me now, it's it's not about being rich. It's about being comfortable, being able to be um, a provider, being able to have flexibility, control my time. Like, I'd rather be I'd rather have a few million and be able to really control myself than to be a billionaire or something like that, you know? So just understanding what I really want to do and learning what amount of money I need to be able to do that to me is more important than just having a lot because you can always get more money. Um, but you can't always get your health back. You can't get your time back. You can't get, those moments that you sacrifice with the family back. So there's sometimes you got to decide, is it worth the money? And I think growing up, just chasing wealth and money, you don't really learn how to make those decisions, but you get to a point in life where your perspective change and you start to, they say there's like levels of wealth, right? So once you get to a certain level, you start to realize that certain things just aren't as important for the money. And it's not the money that's important. It's the things, like I said earlier, that money supplies. So what I'm hearing, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this idea of controlling your time, what I know you talked about in the past uh, with Deloitte, you're looking at, um, you know, the, those work hours and traveling. What are you doing differently now with controlling your time that allows you to have that fulfillment? So for me, um, it's a few things, right? So like when I was at Deloitte, if they told me I got to work the weekend, I'm sacrificing time with my family. I mean, I'm not getting paid extra for that. It's just in a job description, right? Versus now, if I want to work 
80 hour weeks, I'm going to get paid for those 80 hours, not the same money that I was getting regardless. Gotcha. And then the other thing is like, now I have the ability to, if I want to work 80 hours this week and next week, I don't, I want to work 20 or my wife is about to have a child. If I want to take off uh, two months to be with her, I can do that and still have a little, do a little bit on the side to make enough to make ends meet. But I can control my time if I want to, if we need to make a, if we need to take a trip or if I need to be there for a family member or if whatever the case may be, I can control that time as opposed to I have to ask for it or I may not be able to make it because I have an important meeting that I can't really schedule or whatever the case may be. So I think, um, and you'll see it like in an entrepreneurship world, you, you can control your, your time and, and how you, who you give it to and, and whatnot. So when people come to you, potential clients, who's the ideal client for you that you're looking to work with? Is it a particular sector? Is it a particular mindset? What are you looking for when you're working with someone? Yeah. So right now we work with a lot of small businesses and individuals. Um, it's definitely about somebody that's coachable, right? So, um, to have somebody who's willing to take advice a lot of times especially in the internet world it's a lot of information out there and sometimes people you can google anything um so definitely somebody that's coachable um and somebody that's willing to make a change a lot of times we help folks so people that are willing to people who are looking for help and guidance are the people that we we provide our services for and when you say uh, looking for help and guidance, what specifically are they looking in help and guidance for? Is it just budgeting? Is it investing? Is it estate planning? What exactly uh, would be the focus if they contact you and want to work with you? Yeah. Yeah. So we help. Um, we're comprehensive planning service. So, um, folks looking to retire, looking to plan for retirement, folks starting their families, trying to figure out um, what to do next folks looking to start investing and learn how to invest businesses who are just starting looking to put protection in place and, and things like that. Um, businesses that are looking to put in uh, benefits for their employees. Those are the types of things that we offer. So we do have a broad range of services depending on the client's needs, but it all starts with the client in mind. We don't really sit down and have a one size fits all. Um, so depending on, that client's needs are will determine what services we can offer. But just, we always looking to add value. So whatever value that we can add to the client is, is, is how we, how we present it. Now, something I'm curious about, uh, just for my own brain here, you said you're in Florida now in Miami, the area. Correct. Correct. For the time being, I'm actually, uh, in the process of relocating back to DC within uh, by the end of the year. But we have, we currently have clients in over 15 states. So we have clients from Florida to New York to California to Washington. Um, so we can, we can hit on uh, different areas depending on where, where clients are. So help me with the, the cultural understanding what has been the major culture difference between a place like Miami and a place like uh, DC or Virginia 
uh, besides maybe the weather, what, what is the cultural differences uh, between the two areas? As far as you're talking about from clients or from just like the area in general? Just the area in general, but I guess that could spill over to clients as well in their mindset. Um, I mean, Miami is, Miami is, uh, the, the weather's nice, you know, <laughs> um, is a, there's a large, uh, Hispanic presence down here. Um, very Caribbean presence. That's mm-hmm. it's Miami and DC. Um, but other than that, man, it's cultural wise. I mean, my wife's family is from DC, which okay. is why we're, we're relocating back. Um, and I'm, um, my family is from Miami. So that's the difference. That's why the, the two came up. So it's not really a cultural thing, which is why we're moving, but it's more so, so she can be closer to the family and whatnot. Understood. Understood. I just, uh, you know, people have been saying, Hey, DJ, you need to come to DC. I have other people saying, Hey, you need to come to Miami. So I'm just trying to see when I touch down in both, you know, areas, is it, you know, what's the, the vast difference uh you know culturally but you know thank you yeah, for, yeah. These, Miami uh, if you want a, if you want a good time Miami if you want a good time um you can come out to Miami and and really enjoy yourself enjoy the warm weather DC you can also have a pretty good time as far as uh summertime DC is it's no better place to be in summer than, than DC um but cultural wise you'll get a good mixture of I think both um, both cities are very culturally diverse. Um, mm-hmm. Food in both places, you'll get a good experience to different cultures in both places. So they're definitely um, two good places to experience. What do you think? I know we're on we're on Black Equity, so I want to get your take on this. I think you may be the perfect person to ask. What do you think we we currently are at within the Black community when it comes to understanding generational wealth? Obviously, you put this book out there to uh, provide guidance, provide solutions. Uh, did you see that there was a problem that that was out there? And if there was a problem, what was that problem? How can we help to solve it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest um, things around generational wealth in our community is a lot of us are figuring it out for the first time, right? Yeah. So when you're figuring something out, you can either get it right or you can get it wrong, but there's no roadmap there to tell you whether you're right or wrong. So um, for many folks, and especially the, the, our, um, the thought process and the perspective that we have, I think um, sometimes we just need to change our perspective. And we talk a little bit about that in the book as well, um, the myths around generational wealth. Like a lot of times we think that um, if, especially we've seen it with our clients, they say, Hey, like I did what I need to do to put my kids through school so they can figure it out on their own from here. Right. So, but that's not necessarily the right mentality to have, because at the end of the day, if you don't spend it all, eventually it's going to go to them. Right. So it should be your job to put them so that way when they receive it, they will be able to take it and run with it. Um, a lot of times we think that giving our kids, putting our, especially in our community, we think that 
um, giving our kids wealth or putting them in a position, putting them in that position will make them be entitled or spoiled. But it's not necessarily a sense of creating entitlement and making them be spoiled. It's more about educating them. 70% of wealth dies in the second generation. And the reason for that is because a lot of a lot of the next generations get it and don't know what to do with it. So they squander it. We like to use the analogy of wealth is like a car, right? So think about it, a fancy car. So would you give a brand new car to your kids if they didn't know how to drive? Mm-mm. Right? You will want right. to teach them how to drive. You'll take them to a parking lot and let them figure it out. Mm-hmm. And eventually they'll work their way up to be on the road on the regular road and then they'll work their way up to drive on the highway but if we never the thing about wealth is it's that shiny car and whether you teach them or not they're going to get the keys right so if you know they're going to get the keys you might as well start teaching them and i think for a lot of us like i said we're, we're trying to figure it out so we don't we don't know that piece we didn't talk about wealth in our in our household i think um the younger generation is definitely um to change the narrative about that but we're not the ones with the wealth we're the ones receiving it right so it's that baby boomer generation that really needs to um change their perspective and change um we need to start educating the next generation so that way when they do receive it we can make a difference because the other thing in our community is we don't also we don't always put a plan in place we think that just go to the kids, but it's not always that easy, right? And a lot of times we, we create internal conflicts. So another good example is in a black community, most most of the times the largest asset is the home, right? Right. So what happens if you got two kids um, and one house? Mm. house. Right. They both get it, right? So what if they both get it, but they both have different conflict? They have a conflict of... Uh, one wants to keep it, one wants to sell it. So the one that wants to keep it wants it at the highest price, and the one that wants to sell it wants it at the lowest price, so now they're at odds. So now you go back and forth. You got the state attorneys draining the, the state because they're charging you fees because you guys are going back and forth, and nobody's winning but the attorneys. Mm. Could have easily put something in place in a will or a trust that says this is what's going to happen when we're gone. Y'all are either going to decide to keep it, y'all going to decide to sell it. If y'all can't decide, then go sell it and split it down the middle. So something as simple as that can save you funds that can position you to be to build on that wealth. And even just little amounts of wealth that can transfer, right? Imagine how much different your life would be if you had an extra 10 when you were little. If you had an extra 50 grand to be able to fund college funding or to be able to start a business like you don't have to be super rich to be able to create generational wealth but in many cases we're, we're starting over every time and that's that's kind of where we've been in, in our culture so I think we're starting to change the narrative a little bit but I think this book can help change that conversation and it'll also impact a lot of the other things that we've seen uh, going on with the social tensions and, and whatnot. I think you raise up a, a very important uh, thing for us to consider. What if you are that second generation and the first generational wealth 
uh, I guess someone's parents, they don't necessarily know all this, right? What, in your opinion, is the best course of action? If I'm listening to this podcast episode, I'm reading your book, I now have this information, but I'm second generation, so I can't really make the decisions for them. How do you approach that conversation with that first generational wealth uh, piece and say, hey, we need to have a conversation because I don't want this to happen to you? What is, what is your advice if we're the second generation talking to the first generation? So I think it's just, like you said, poking a bear, having a conversation. So bring it up. Hey, I've, I've read about this, and I just want to make sure that um, you have put a plan in place to make sure that something happens to you, your wishes are carried out. And sometimes they may not be receptive at first, but it's just about having that to have that conversation, right? All we can do is try. So um, changing their perspective, giving them a copy of the book or giving them uh, resources that you've, that you've come across and say, hey, I think you may want to sit down and talk to somebody. Do you have a will in place? I just want to make sure that um, if something happens to you that one, you'll be okay and that, you're, that you have a plan. And to say, hey, I've seen a lot of times in the past where, or I've, I've read about stories of, wealth being squandered and I just want to make sure that that doesn't happen to our family and just having that conversation will go a lot long will go long because if they may if they weren't thinking about it or if it wasn't you know if it wasn't something that that came up they may not even be thinking about those things so just by bringing it up and saying hey did you do this um, is important especially for the second generation Another reason why that's important is because a lot of a lot of times we're seeing people are living longer, right? So mm-hmm. if they don't have a plan in place, that plan that they didn't have may become your burden. Right. So it's important for you to know because if they don't have the right things in place now, you may be the one that's taking care of them down the road, which will right. then in turn alter your plan. So yeah. it's important that you sit down to have that conversation because this can impact you and everything that you plan on doing down the road. Who, who should they be talking to? I mean, I guess it depends on the situation, but is it a financial planner? Is it a, an estate planner? Who is yeah, the yeah. first person to say, Hey, go talk to someone uh, if they're not able to reach you. Yeah. So, um, it depends on the situation. Um, um, the best way to do it is reach out to friends who may be in the same boat, right? They can okay. to somebody who they can refer you to somebody that they've worked with or whatever the case may be um, that they had success with. But you definitely, a financial planner is a good person to talk to, um, an estate attorney, um, having an accountant sure that your, your tax liability is covered. Um, an insurance advisor, investment uh, planner, an investment uh, advisor. Those are all people that you can, they can be talking to depending on their needs and their situation. Um, but a good place to start is just to talk to friends who are in similar boats because they may have somebody who they can refer you to and say, hey, this is a good person you can talk to. And that's the way we get a lot of our, our clients is, People just say, hey, we were sitting down and I was telling them the things that you were doing for me and I think it might be a good idea for you to talk to them. So just having a conversation with peers is a good place to start if you don't know where to go. 
Definitely. So for those who those who are listening to this episode, they want to know where they can uh, access your book, uh, The Power of Generational Wealth, or maybe they are in one of those 15 states that, that you service. Um, how can they get access to your book and how can they reach out to you? Um, so the way they can get access to the book is they can go to powergenwealth.com. Um, it's also available on Amazon. And a way they can get access to us if they go to thegfinancialgroup.com, T-H-E-G financialgroup.com, they can learn more about um, what we do from a financial planning uh, point of view. What are your final thoughts to someone who is just getting into entrepreneurship? Uh, they ain't even thought about, you know, the future or uh, planning for the future. They may be the first generation uh, uh, wealth. They may not have anything that's going to be passed down to them that they know of. Uh, what is your final thoughts to them as they are about to pick up your book uh, and potentially consider reaching out to you? Make sure you're doing what you need to do to develop a solid foundation. I think where people go wrong is they get caught up in all the sexy stuff too early um, when it's the foundation that really sets sets the stage for what you can do and build upon. Um, so developing that structure, developing the, that budget, um, learning to live within your means, um, developing a structure around the business and processes, um, that will help you be successful. And if you do all of those things early, as you begin to scale, you'll have a more sustainable practice as opposed to trying to do too much too early and you can't keep up with it. Um, and I think that's one thing that will really set folks apart because the problem, what most people run into is they make more money, but they spend more money. So if you make more, you spend more, you're never getting ahead. You're always just keeping up. So it's about once you develop that foundation at, a, at an early stage, if you imagine what you can do if you lock in your expenses and double your income. Mm. I, I, like the, I like the way you're thinking. So those are the things that can really help you take it to the next level. But don't, and the other thing is don't, don't forget about yourself in the process of building a business. A lot of times businesses fail because they spend so much time and energy on the business that they never put anything aside. And then when the bill is, if the business goes belly up, so do you. So you should always be saving 10% outside of the business. So that way, if the business does fail, and you still got something to show for it, as opposed to you put everything back in the business and now what do you, the business is gone. And we didn't mention, we, we talked about, you know, people having houses and passing that down. But part of generational wealth is also having a business and passing the business down as well. Mm -hmm. uh, have you come across that? Um, it, through through your work and speaking with people where the succession plan of, of you know, transferring over a business to someone that they may not necessarily know how to run or how to operate. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, that's another big thing that uh, businesses run into. There's no exit strategy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, what happens when you're no longer here? Your Your goal should always be to try to create something that will operate if you're not there. So yeah. um, if you're indisposable, then you, you're, you don't have a business, you have a job. Right. Um, so 
one of the things that we help our clients do is put those plans in place to, hey, identify who that successor may be. If it's not a child, it's got to be somebody within the business who may already, who may show that they, that they have what it takes and grooming them and putting them in a position that eventually they can buy you out. Um, and then depending on the complexity of where they're at, um, there's different things that you can put in place. Like a, um, there's a there's a couple of different things that you can put in place to kind of really um, put them in a financial position to be able to do that. But you know, I don't want to dive into the details. But there are things that you can do to really start uh, um, building that succession plan. But it starts with just identifying who that person is, and sometimes. It may not be somebody in the family, so you have to put in a plan. That's where the plan comes in that says, all right, if if the kids don't want business, maybe somebody will buy them out, and then they'll get their portion in cash, and the business can still operate. So it's not always the kids have to get the business because sometimes the kids don't want it. So it's right. about really understanding what your particular situation is, what your family is, and designing something that meets those needs so that way – you can all get what you want at the end of the day. Gerald Grant III, uh, co-author of Power of Generational Wealth. Thank you so much for coming on Black Equity. The doors are open uh, to come back again anytime. I look forward to seeing how this book transforms our community. I'm already seeing everybody tagging and saying, I'm getting that book. Uh, so I, I appreciate I, it. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually honored to be a part of your journey and be able to share this on Instagram and let people know, hey, this is uh, one uh, resource that you can use uh, to build the vision that you have. So thank you for putting that out there for, for the community. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, just glad to be here. Glad to be able to share. Definitely believe that education and knowledge is power. The more we learn, the more we can equip ourselves to become successful and eventually create wealth as a byproduct of that. So um, definitely um, always here to share information and have conversations and just hopefully we can change this narrative, man, and, and really start to make a difference in our culture and in our community. Definitely. Thank you again for coming on Black Equity. Maybe I'll bump up, bump again, uh, bump into you in D.C. when for I go sure, for lunch sure. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll chop it up then. For sure, man. Appreciate it. Peace. Uh, we are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity Strategic Partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email, djm at djmotri.com. Once again, djm at djmotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guest you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.